Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Major Reisman, you are ordered by Allied Command to select 12 general prisoners, convicted by courts martial and sentenced to be executed or serve lengthy prison terms for murder, rape, robbery, and other crimes of violence. And you will deliver them secretly behind enemy lines in France to undertake a mission of sabotage that could change the course of the war. The 12 men will be known as the Dirty Dozen. Lee Marvin as Major John Reisman. There's a little of Major Reisman in every man, says Marvin. Tough and unyielding, yet compassionate. I think it's the best role I've ever been asked to play. You've all volunteered for a mission which gives you just three ways to go. Either you can file up in training and be shipped back here for immediate execution of sentence, or you can file up in combat, in which case I will personally blow your brains out, or you can do as you're told, in which case you might just get by. Now you hold it right there. This war was not started for your private gratification, and you can be damn sure that this army isn't being run for your personal convenience either. Ernest Borgnine as General Warden. I'm tired of seeing generals portrayed as desk-bound pen pushers, says Borgnine. So I've played Warden as a rough professional soldier. Robert Ryan as Colonel Everett Dasher Breed. There were officers like Breed, says Ryan who could never suffer the rules broken or even bend a little. Major Reisman's compliments, sir. Tell him well it's strong. prefer to be captured or destroyed. Jimmy Brown as Napoleon Jefferson. Jefferson is any man fighting for recognition against the odds, says Brown. I think I understand him pretty well. The hell is John Cassavetes as Victor Franco, says Cassavetes. Franco is a petty hoodlum forced to heroism by circumstances beyond his control. We go on that mission, we all get killed. That's what they want. That's what they want. Trini Lopez as Jimenez. He's crawling with hate. Charles Bronson as Vladislaw. The last guy in the world you'd expect to be a hero. <laughs> Telly Savalas as Archer Maggot. Maggot is a maniac, says Savalas. His religious fanaticism can never be moderated or quelled. It is a constant danger. Clint Walker as Samson Posey. An Indian with war paint smeared on his soul. Train them. Excite them. Arm them. And turn them loose on the Nazi High Command. Time for your traffic report. There's a six. Oh. What is it, Scooby? Can't you see I'm broadcasting here? Pile up on the tri level. Got you backed up all the way to the off ramp. So if you're traveling this morning, try to give yourself an extra day or two, folks. <laughs> Hang on, folks. I've just been handed this important bulletin. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our regularly scheduled program to bring you this special report. Like live as it happens. If you love classic cars, then Donald loves you. Hi, it's Donald Osborne, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
Well, hey, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers at Google, TanTalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Florida. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, check out NostalgicRadioandCars.com. Good evening, everybody. we got a great show for you tonight. we got a very special guest. Happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. And there should be some fireworks in about an hour down in Clearwater Beach. Anyway, right now I think what we got to do is we got to play a little music, and then we got to get ready for our very special guest for the evening. This 4th of July evening. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey guys, we're back and it's uh, time to introduce our special guest for the evening and I'm delighted to welcome back to our show our good friend Jay Leno. Jay, how are you this evening? Good, good. Happy 4th of July. Happy 4th of July to you as well. So you've had a pretty exciting year this year, but I don't want to really ha- rehash a lot of that stuff. I just kind of wanted to you know, get up to speed on, on some of the projects and stuff. And I got to tell you, I've been watching a lot of your uh, Jay Leno garage shows. And there's some pretty right. interesting cars on there, and uh, I didn't know if you wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that. And then if, if somebody wanted to get a car on Jay Leno Garage, how would they go about doing that? What's the, uh, what's the magic? Well, uh, I mean, I tend to just see cars at cars. You know, it's not a big-budget show. We don't fly people in or anything. It's just a couple of guys with a camera at the garage, and there's so many cars in Southern California you know, you know, if I go to Bob's Big Boy and I see something I like, I go, hey, you want to put this on the show? Oh, yeah, okay, or no, whatever it might be. And we set up and they drive over and they bring it, you know. I mean, sometimes the, the manufacturers will bring a car over. I mean, I was thrilled when Mercedes-Benz flew over the uh, a couple of the going race cars, you know, the, uh, the aluminum ones. I mean, they flew them here from Germany, and that was really uh, an honor to do and be able to get to drive those. Uh, so it, it's not really hard. If it, the, the trouble is, I just hear from a lot of people with the same car, you know, restored Mustang, restored 57 Chevy. And we've done those and they're great cars, but you, you can't keep doing the same car over and over again, you know? So, so we tend to look to the more unusual if, if we can find it. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned Mustang because I was recently watching the one you did with the, uh, K code convertible, the 64 and a half. Right, right, right. That was an interesting yeah, that car. Was, I like that because it was a nice original car and the guy really knew what he was talking about, you know, because a lot of times you get people and they buy something that somebody else did and it's got a thousand horsepower. Well, well, no, it doesn't. It's a small block Chevy with a four barrel cover. You know, (laughs) (laughs) and you don't want to call people a liar. You know, you can't go because it's like insulting the children. So you have to be a little careful. The other day when I talked to you on the phone briefly there, I was telling you I was on my way up to Barber Motorsports to do an appraisal uh, on a motorcycle at this time. Usually I do cars for them. But uh, I was talking to uh, Nick LaCase there, and uh, and I'm real good friends with Lee Clark, and I've met George Barber a number of times. But we, I, I asked if uh, – I said, because Jay's a, a, a huge motorcycle guy. Has he ever been out here? And he said that you had been there one time. So tell, me, tell us a little bit what your experience was like at Barber Motorsports. Well, I got to know them. They were out here buying some bikes. I know they came from Japan or somewhere else. And they didn't have any place to store them. I said, well, you're welcome to use my facility, you know, before you ship them off to Barber. If you need a point of contact on the West Coast. So that's how we became friends. They kept a couple of bikes here for a few months until they had room for them. So the, the new 
uh, building was finished. So we became friends. And then when I was working down in Alabama, I was fortunate enough to get to go to the museum. It was uh, very impressive. I mean, it, it's it's probably the greatest collection in the world. You've traveled quite a bit, and you've seen a lot of museums out there, you know, whether they're car museums, motorcycle museums, military museums, anything that's, you know, transportation-oriented. Where do you rank Barber? Oh, that's I, I think that's the stuff that's the number one motorcycle museum in the world, I would think. I mean, England's got some nice ones, too. But the English ones I like because they're smaller and a bit more intimate. You know, you go to Georgia's and it takes you a week to go through there. <laughs> because it, you know, uh, the interesting thing about most of the English ones is, you know, like England itself, they're kind of a nation of shopkeepers, you know, so. Everything is small and intimate, and it's usually somebody that's had the bikes he's had since the 50s, you know, and he's got them nicely displayed in a, a garage or a house out back or something, you know. I mean, the, the National Motor Motorcycle Museum is very impressive also, but I think uh, that mostly features British stuff, whereas Barber has everything. Have you had a chance to um, the Smithsonian? Smith, I tripped over the words there. Smithsonian, yeah. that's right. You know what's interesting? I was always a little disappointed in that because, I mean, I went there to try and go see um, Glenn Curtis's motorcycle, uh, the, the V8 one he had. Um, Is that the guy know, that was the Michigan Madman? Is that the one? No, no, no. Glenn Curtis was Curtis Aircraft. Oh, Curtis Aircraft, Much okay. Much earlier. Michigan Madman was in the 50s. Okay. Glenn Curtis was six, seven, eight, ten, twelve, you know. Uh, you know, it's interesting when you do a little research and you realize how much is, you know, supposedly Glenn Curtis went 136 miles an hour on that bike. And then you see the bike and you realize it's 40 horsepower. I mean, there's no way it, it could run that fast, but I think it was one of those things where people just got caught up in the story because it was never actually verified, but the story is pretty good, and the bike looks great. But when you go to the Smithsonian, you'll see like a motorcycle hanging from the ceiling, and next to it, a sawmill. So, you know, you can't, it's not like you're in an automotive section. Um, it's a little disappointing, but this, it, but it's not really about motorcycles, it's about American artifacts, you know, so, you know, you can, you've got Archie Bunker's chair right there, and then you got the, <laughs> like a uh, a cyclone motorcycle or something like that. If you're going to the Smithsonian just to look at vehicles, it's very disappointing. If you like Americana, obviously it's great. But, you know, I just went to see the bikes, and I was a little disappointed in how they were displayed and stuff. You know, uh, another great one is Wheels Through Time, uh, Dale Walker's Museum there in... Uh, Maggie Valley? In, in North, I, North Carolina? North Carolina yeah, Maggie North Valley, Carolina. right, yeah. Boy, that's a great one. That's a great one. Yeah, that's well worth seeing. And that really treats the motorcycle with respect. As, you know, because a lot of times when you go to museums, they got, they'll have all the cars out, and then there's like three Honda 50s in the corner, and that's their motorcycle display. Whereas, whereas Dale really has got the best. He's got crack crackers and all sorts of rare American motorcycles, Henderson KJs and all kinds of stuff, Aces and... So it, it's really worth seeing. When you, uh, like, for example, all right, so, like, there's there's countless museums around the country, and there's countless private collections and uh, of motorcycles. Are you equally as passionate about motorcycles as you are about cars, or do motorcycles weigh in a little bit more? Because I know you feature a lot of motorcycles on your show as well. No, I, I like them both. I like them both. I mean, obviously, the motorcycle market is a bit smaller mm-hmm. than, uh, you know. It's kind of like books versus records. Right. You know, to get a gold record, you need seven million. To get the equivalent book award, you need to sell 50,000. <laughs> you know, that shows you how few people read, you know. And it's a bit like that with motorcycles. People go crazy for the cars, and then the motorcycle is kind of a secondary thing. If you go to Europe or England, where the motorcycle is, for a lot of people, their only form of transportation, or at least it was in the 40s and 50s, the motorcycle is treated a bit more respectfully. I mean, in America, the motorcycle has always been a recreational vehicle, but you could buy a second-hand Model T for $25, you know? Uh, whereas in England, that wasn't possible. So a lot of people had a motorcycle with a sidecar instead of a car because 
you didn't have to pay the road tax if it had less than four wheels. When you when you're back at your um, giant collector car museum there in Los Angeles, and one of these days I've got to get well, out it's there. Museum, it's, it's my garage. That's where that's where I am now. Oh, your garage. Okay. Well, all right, all right. That brings up another question. It's kind of like I I'm I'm a car guy, obviously, and I'm in the business too, which makes it even more kind of uh i don't know of an obsession i guess you know but but they always say that you know if you're passionate about what you do and that's what you do for a living then it's not a job right not necessarily true but it is still a job but nonetheless so i'm here all the time and i eat sleep and drink cars all day long and my wife tolerates it we've been married 40 years right so is your life basically the same thing so when jay leno gets up in the morning it's 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 right to the garage it's all about cars i mean what's the day in life like with jay leno yeah yeah that's pretty much what it is I mean, today we got a couple of projects working on steam cars. Top's finishing off the 57 Cadillac. Uh, we took out my Merlin engine on the engine stand and, and uh, got the forklift, brought it out to the parking lot to fire it up. Hadn't been fired in a while. Uh, so we just yeah, a lot of motor, motor stuff, steering engines, all kinds of stuff. The Merlin-powered car that you have, is that a... Is that a Rolls Royce or is it a Bentley? What kind of car is that? I can't remember. I, it's... Well, well I, I got three with Merlin engines. It's a um, it's a thirty four Rolls P two chassis. Okay. And we we built the body at the shop here to make it look period correct. Made a two seater roadster out of it. Uh, it's got a six speed uh, new venture modern truck transmission in it because there was no transmission that could take the torque of that uh, a twenty seven liter V twelve. Um, so that's we run that in the car as a car. I run the engine on the stand. And then they have, I have the tank version of the Merlin engine in a, a car that is a, a Bentley, a Bentley. Okay. There was a gentleman here in uh, Tarpon Springs, Florida, many, many, many years ago. His name was Al Weissman. I don't know if that name rings a bell, but he yeah, had I know one. Al Weissman. Yeah, Al okay. Weissman had a Merlin-powered car too, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Well, it, they had an auction. They sold a lot of stuff. And rumor had it that you acquired that car. Did you get that one too, or did that go someplace else? No, I else? didn't get his. You know, the guy that built that one made the, the same mistake everybody did. He put a Jaguar transmission behind it. Oh. When I, when I got mine, there was a guy named Paul Jameson out of England. And in that classic quirky English tradition, this guy's main job was restoring 11th, 12th, and 13th century uh, Christian churches. He would find remnants who, you know, England is way older than we are. And a lot of these, he'd find where the, where the church was. And inevitably there would still be a foundation in the ground of stone and rock. And he would slowly rebuild the church. And in the spare time, he would take Merlin engines and put them in cars. And he had a Merlin engine on a frame with no body going to a Jaguar gearbox. And I bought that from him uh, 35 years ago, something like that. Uh, it had a big Holly four barrel on it. It was pretty sloppy. Anyway, we we went through the motor, new rods, new everything. Um, uh, put uh, using our 3D printer, made an intake manifold so you could run 48 Webers on it. Um, and that's what that that's what. Uh, in the Merlin now, but Al made the same mistake. His car looked beautiful, but it had that Jaguar transmission. Like in mine, three times this happened. I put the Jaguar box in, go down the road, put it in second, not even flooring it, just giving a little bit of gas and over here, bring, <laughs> and all the, all the teeth would just bust off second gear. Literally just strip it. So, okay, okay. You know, and then you try third gear and then that would I said, okay. Well, I went through three Jaguar transmissions. I said, well, this is stupid. And I didn't want to go with a big Allison with a torque converter or something. I, I, didn't, I wanted to keep it a manual box. So the new Venture transmission, that big truck chest, that was a big six-speed for Peterbilt and all that stuff. And it was pretty strong. And it, it's in there now. And, and being a six-speed, like at 70, I'm turning 650, 700 RPM, oh. going 70 miles an hour. Because it's such a torquey motor, it can pull that long gear in six, in, in six, in six. You know, so it's kind of cool. Wow. Do you have any other unusual cars like that? I mean, with uh, yeah, aircraft, I've got a aircraft engine. I've got, if you go to Jay Leno's garage, you can see some of them. 
Okay. Uh, on YouTube, I got a 1910 Mercedes with a 1914 Benz Arrow in it, and this car was built back in the day. You know, in World War One or after World War One, when you wanted to go fast. He took an airplane engine and he put it in a car because in those days, an airplane engine was just a bigger, faster, better built, more efficient version of a car engine. They usually had two mags. Uh, sometimes they have a battery and coil and a mag. But you always had two ignition systems in case one flamed out on you. You know, <laughs> yeah. So they because obviously planes have to be pretty reliable. So <laughs> it was it was uh, and the car raced at Brooklyn's in 1921, uh, it lapped at 113. And everybody thought it was one of the chitty chitty bang bang cars. There was a guy named Count Zabronsky who used to put airplane engines into various chassis and they called them chitty bang bangs. And uh, this is thought to be one of those, but it wasn't. It was built by a guy named Starsberg. Anyway, uh, it belonged to, and there's a guy named Peter Helk who brought it to America. Peter Helk was probably America's most famous automotive painter. You might not recognize his name, but if you saw some of his artwork, you go, oh, that, oh, that's the guy that, you know, in the days before photography was in widespread use, you know, you couldn't catch speed in a photograph. It always came out blurry. You know, you see old pictures where the wheels look oval, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes like that. So what they would do is they'd hire the best illustrators they could for automobile magazines and stuff uh, to illustrate Gordon Crosby's probably the most famous one. He's a, uh, he's the English artist and he had, he was great at depicting speed. You know, a guy coming around the corner at Lamar, you know, his hair blown back and we, you can see the speed lines in the picture and all that kind of stuff, you know? Uh, and that's what they did back in the day. They would illustrate a crash using like you would a court stenographer or, or, or a court reporter, you know, drawing the pictures. And Peter Helg owned my car before I got it. And uh, he kept it for years and years. And then I got it from the guy who got it from him. Interesting. Are you a big memorabilia collector as well? Because you talked um, about art. So I'm, I'm getting I mean, it. I mean, a little bit. You know, the trouble is with memorabilia, it's like I had a guy come here who was a famous artist. And he wanted to paint my Morgan three-wheeler. I got a 1932 Morgan three-wheeler. I said, okay. So he did the painting, and I said, just curious, if I wanted to buy the painting, how much is it? And he said, $25,000. And I said, you know, I only paid eighteen five for the car. <laughs> so I would have to come up with another car plus another $7,500 and trade them both for a picture of my car. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. I can own the actual vehicle less money than you pay for the picture of the vehicle <laughs> so that's that's why you know when i see a you know an old you know you know um you know sinclair gas station sign for fifteen thousand dollars i go well I, I could buy another car for that it doesn't make sense to me so what we usually do is if you look on the walls of my garage you'll see some nice artwork but mm -hmm. i i would use this i would use the set designers at the Tonight Show, and the days off, I pay him to come in and paint me pictures that I, of things that I like, you know. Oh. Sometimes there were ads in magazines and stuff. And that ran about 4500 to $5,000 a picture. But it wasn't 50000 for the picture, 100000 And plus, I could make them as big as I wanted. If you go to J.L.'s garage and you look on the, the artwork on the walls, you can see that. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, here's another question, because I get to ask this every once in a while. So... A lot of guys, myself included, besides having a shop, quasi man cave, do you, what is your office like? What is the decor in your office like? Does it have a lot of interesting um, automotive artifacts, uh, collectibles and things like that? Well, like a lot of people, I kind of, I said, let me get an office. And I realized I'm never in there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, everything is happening. It's like when I go home and I write jokes, I sit at the kitchen table because I can say to people, hey, is this funny? You know, I can say to them, hey, honey, is this good? You know, when you're in a room by yourself, it never worked out that way. So I, I, I just use it for storage. I don't really use, I don't think I've sat in my office more than five minutes. I usually come out here in the shop floor 
and there's a desk and a table here, and I can see what's going on and listen, and, and, and I like being in, involved with the action. So, no, I don't really have a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of neat stuff around here. That's certainly true, but um, I don't, uh, it's not set up like an office, you know. How often, here's another question I get asked, how often do you get called from people that have cars for sale, you know, regardless of whether they're run-of-the-mill cars or very, very unique cars, and 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 I know when I talked to you when we when I first started interviewing you uh, when you first started coming to my show, geez, it's been almost ten years now, on and off, and um, you had like a hundred cars back then. I don't know what you have now, but I, I when I watch your your shows, it seems like you pick up a piece here, a piece there. So I'm sure your collection's well, I, growing. I, well, I got two hundred. I got two hundred and four on the road right now. Two hundred and four. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, you're catching up with LeMay. Doesn't he have 1,200? <laughs> I don't know, but he's, yeah, he's not around anymore. Yeah, no, yeah. I know. But at any rate, um, so, like, how often do people call you? And, and and obviously it's the car and the story that would intrigue you to acquire those cars. But how often do you get calls? Quite a bit, quite frequently? Oh, every day you get calls or letters or something. And, and you know, I don't like to be rude, but a lot of times people, I have very rare Ford Granada one of the only ones with wire rail hubcaps and you know you have to kind of pretend to be interested but that's not really a rare car you know <laughs> um so but but that being said you get really interesting things happen you know one i'll tell you a story one day uh, it's a motorcycle version of that one day i'm riding my vincent black shadow and I, and i get t-boned by a guy on a BSA, just coming there, just bam, just went, knocked me and the bike down. I went to the hospital. I got the bike back to the shop here, you know, and it wasn't too bad. Vincent don't, Vincent's don't have a frame. The engine hangs from the front, you know, headpiece in the back. Okay, just, it's just, uh, it, it, the engine is the frame. Okay. But I needed a gas tank. So I went on the Tonight Show and I said, ah, I need a gas tank for a, a 1952 Vincent Black Shadow, you know, just sort of tongue in cheek. So I hear from this guy. He goes, I, he said, I got the, uh, he got, I got the tank, but it's, I, I'd want to sell the whole bike. I said, what, what, what do you have? He said, I got the very first Vincent Black Shadow ever sold. Third one built, first one sold. And I said, oh, what year? He says, 1947. I said, you know, they really didn't come out until 48 or 49. I go, oh, no, I got the first one. I, okay. I said, can you give me the, the engine number and frame? Yeah, okay. So he gives me a number, you know. So I called the Vincent Club in England. I said, can you can you check on this number? And the guy, a couple of days later, calls me back. He said, yeah, I checked out. I go, that's the lost bike. That bike disappeared years ago. I said, oh, that's what I thought. What was the story on it? He goes, well, it was bought by a, a young GI named Robert Schuster. I go, Robert Schuster? That's the guy that called me, <laughs> you know? He's like, he's like 88 years old now, you know? And I go, that's, that's the guy that called me. He goes, yeah, he, it was the third one built, first one sold. I said, so I called Schuster back and what he does, when he got it home to Florida, he wrote, he drove it for a while and then he broke the bronze idler gear and the transmission. He didn't know how to fix it and just put it in his garage from like 1949 until, oh, I guess it was about, 1998 or 99 where I got. Wow. Yeah. And, and so, so I, I bought it from him. Uh, it was funny, you know, he wanted 18.5, which was a lot of money back in those days for that bike. So that's okay. And, you know, I, I said, well, it's going to cost me, you know, five, six hundred bucks to ship it out. He go, oh, if I, if I deliver it, will you give me the six hundred bucks? I, I said, sure. Okay. So, Three days later, he pulls in with a dog in his truck and the bike in the back, all bleary-eyed, you know, 88-year-old guy driving across country with his motorcycle. And I gave him a few extra bucks. I gave him a 1000 actually, for delivering it. And it was fine. And now I got it here, and it's a very rare, unusual bike. So those kind of things, those barn finds do happen. I mean, uh, the cops came here the other day, and they said, hey, a guy around the corner less than a mile from here. The family said he was a hoarder, and he put a car in the garage in the 60s, but there's so much junk on it, nobody knows what the car is. 
I said, what do you know about it? Well, it's some kind of English car. Family says, you want to take a look at it? I go, yeah, okay. So we go, we open the garage, and it's floor-to-ceiling junk, water heaters, old TVs, everything is piled on this car. I said, oh, boy, okay. So it takes hours. So as we get down, I go, oh, it turned out to be a 1963 Series 1 XKE convertible. And I go, oh, and I looked at it's got 17,000 miles. The guy bought it in 63, about 66 or 67, he put it in the garage and started drinking and drank for the next 40 something, 50 years. Just drank himself to death until he died. And the car hadn't turned a wheel since 67. And it's a brand new jack. I opened the trunk, the spare tire, the jack, the little brake bleeder can that you got when you bought a new Jag was in there, unopened. I mean, it was a time capsule. All the books, the engine, uh, the body markings and chalk were still on the body because the guy never drove in the rain and they never wore off and he never wiped them off. And they're still on it to this day. And so we dragged it back here. It didn't take a whole lot to get it running. I mean, we, we pulled the rear end and cleaned everything and replaced all the seals. And then put it back, it is 100% stock. It's got all the original pieces, that little phenolic material that, that this, the spark plug wires go through. You know, most that sort of breaks and people throw it away and they just run the wires and distribute to the, oh no, that's there. I mean, all those little pieces are there. So and that was a pretty exciting find. So, it, And it was less than a mile from my garage. You know, oh, That's boy. the fun thing about California, you know. Uh, Lockheed Martin was right around the corner here. And you had all these engineers in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s lived here. And when you drive around Burbank, you notice there are small houses with extremely big garages in the back. And you go, oh, that must have been somebody who knew something, you know. <laughs> and that's what this was. That's what this was. It, it, you know, it was, it was that kind of house. So that, that, that's what makes it pretty cool. You, uh, I was watching one of your shows, and... Uh... You have a similar story about a um, that white Jaguar E-Type coupe that supposedly came from a one-owner lady. That, yeah, oh, that but, what's the story a, on that? A very wealthy lady called me, a 63 E-Type coupe. She bought it new. She told me she once had it up to 80 miles an hour. Okay, so I'm, I'm talking to her on the phone, and just by the way she's talking, I can, she goes, oh, I've got a piece of property for sale. Do you want it? I go, what's the property here? It's right on the coast in California, up near Pebble Beach. It's like $10 million. I said, well, no, that's just not looking for that. But I said, tell me about the car. So I said, oh, 50 grand for it. And at the time, that was about, I said, well, okay. Uh, and there was just something about her that made me believe her. I said, you know something? So I sent her a check for 50 grand. A car shows up. I got my fingers crossed. It's perfect. The clock works. It's still got the original two-blade fan on it. It's still got the original radiator. I mean, all stuff that no Jags in the 60s has anymore because they all got replaced or changed. And, and she, you know, she was like, not an old lady when she got it, obviously, but she was not an abuser. I mean, the transmission shifted, click, click, click. You know, it's the old non-synchro first. But just a wonderful driving, nice of this. You know, if you ever want to know what a, a nice Jag is like to drive when they were new, both of these cars are good examples of that. Wow, and they're both 63s. I'm a, I'm a huge Jag fan, too. I mean, I've had an E-Type or two before, and uh, so I, I like yeah. those. And, 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 and there's, you know, is to quote Enzo Ferrari, or I don't know exactly what the quote was, but basically, as he coined it, you know, it's one of the most beautiful cars he'd ever seen. And it's just, yeah, a, most, yeah. it's timeless. Yeah, it is. It really is. I never really got why Aston Martin was so much better than Jags. I mean, an Aston is just a Jag that went to graduate school. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just some of the, you know, same. Although Jag could not have a five-speed because the transmission would have been too big to fit in the car. So the Aston Martin had that. It had a five-speed. Well, you know, uh, Jag only had a four-speed. That was kind of cozy. Um, you did an, also an episode, and I think it was very, very early on, but you actually did one on one of my favorite cars, and it happens to be the car that's the logo on my business card, and it's a 65 
Lamborghini 350 GT. Tell us a little bit about the one that you had um, that you did in the video. And that was a long time ago, if I recall. That was probably well. Like, that was not that was not mine. Right, that was a customer's car, a friend, or from the Lamborghini Club, right? Yeah, but those are days you can buy those for twenty five grand or thirty <laughs> grand. You know, I mean, they were great cars. I love those. I mean, here's how old I am. I got my Lamborghini Miura for free because I had a blown engine, and the guy's wife just wanted it out of the garage. Oh my! You know, back in back in those days. You couldn't call the Lamborghini factory because nobody spoke English or answered the phone. You had to write a letter in Italian. And, you know, you just couldn't get parts for them. You know, it's not like today. In fact, I met a guy who pulled out the Lambo motor and put a 283 Chevy in it. Oh. Oh, 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 oh. Um, one of the mirrors, I know you have two mirrors. Didn't one of them come from uh, Dean Martin? Yeah, that's this one. Oh, that's this one? Okay. Dean Martin, Dean Martin bought it new. Okay. Uh, his, his kids uh, went over a berm and split the pan. Okay. And uh, and uh, a buddy of mine who's a school teacher bought it, thinking he could fix it. But you couldn't get any parts. Nobody knew anything about them. Uh, they seemed really overly complicated. And so it just sat. And I got it from him and his wife wanted it out of the house. Interesting. Now, do you have, are both yours early cars, 400s, P400s, or do you have an SV also? No, I don't have an SV. I have a P, P400 and an S. Okay. The only difference with an SV is the split sump. So, you know, but I don't, I don't find the engine oil and transmission oil to be a problem. I just change the oil more frequently. That's all. You've got two Espadas, right? Right. right. Tell us about the, uh, which, do you have an early one? Are they both, are they, are they series one, two, threes? They're, they're both a series, a series one, series two. Yeah. Okay, because the series one had that really cool dash in it. Actually, it's a good looking car. Oh yeah, car. no, they, yeah, they're, they're based on the Mazal that uh, that show car. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, the uh, Audrain is coming up here in the fall, and I know you're very much involved in that. Tell us a little bit about the Audrain concourse. Oh, that's a great museum. I think that's uh, equal of Pebble Beach on the East Coast. You know, really get all the upscale cars, all the classic Bugattis, Tabalagos, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's done in Newport, which has all the old mansions. So if you want to come with your wife or your girlfriend, they don't care about cars. It's a great, uh, it's a, it's a great venue because there's stuff to do in town. You know, well, the guys at the car shows, you, they can go look at stuff. You know? uh, no, it's really an impressive event. And that Audrain Museum is really a world-class museum. Now the concourse, they have a special fee because one of the big things that's that's concerning a lot of car guys these days is you know trying to get the younger kids more and more involved. They've got basically a program like many museums events that are doing, and that is to get the younger the, the youth involved. Tell us, a little, are you involved yeah. in any of those well, programs? Yeah, well that's that's something I started at the Audrain. We, okay, we call it thirty under thirty. It's got to be a car restored by someone, man or woman, under the age of thirty, for less than thirty thousand dollars. And, you know, these young people are so thrilled to see their Datsun V210 on the same field as Alfa Romeos and, and Duesenbergs and given the same respect as those guys, that it, it's really worked out great. I mean, we get a huge, an overabundance of people who have cars that apply for it, you know. And it, it's fun because they really, you know, you go to these car shows and all us old guys got the rope around it. Don't touch this car unless you're nude and, you know, those kind of signs and Hey, get out of there. You know, I always let people sit in my cars, kids sit in and ask questions about it. And you get them interested in it. And it, 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 it's really a lot of fun. Do you, um, do you, like, do you go to, how many events do you attend a year? I mean, like, let's say, I know you go to Pebble and you, obviously Audrain. Um, how many other well, significant events do you, do you attend? I, I, don't, I don't get to many, actually. I, I haven't been to uh, Pebble in a while. Oh, really? Uh, this this year, I got an interest. You know, here's an interesting story. Okay. Uh, you know, my Chrysler turbine car. You know about that one. Right, right. Okay. Well, the engine melted down on me. It just just cooked itself. Really? Yeah. Oh, wait, hang on. Sure. Yeah. It just cooked itself. And there's no parts. There's nothing. I mean, nothing. 
And I'm thinking, oh, man, what other guy? I got a shell of a car here. So I start asking around and calling jet guys. I finally talked to Williams, Williams Turbines out of Detroit. And I talked to the to Greg Williams and his father, Sam, worked on my turbine car. He I'm, helped develop it with, with George Hubner for Chrysler. Your actual okay. car? No, I mean, they're all the same. Oh, okay, Chrysler, right, all right. I mean, well, I mean, it's Chrysler Turbine Car, yeah. Okay. Okay. So I call him, and they get all excited about the project. They find about 60 guys from the original team, all over the age of 80. Oh, no. And cool. these guys saved every piece of... You know, usually when you're an engineer and you work on a project, and the project ends, you're supposed to burn all your notes and throw them away. But these guys, you know, the, the, the turbine program was really exciting. And when it ended, it ended with a slam. That's it. You know, it's over. You know, and these guys are supposed to turn it off. Well, they didn't. They all saved all their stuff, you know. So Williams gave us a clean room in Detroit. And they're building me a brand new turbine engine using these 60 guys. It looks like a movie Cocoon. Remember the movie Cocoon with all yeah. the old guys working? Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's like that. You go into, One guy was in his 90s and was so elderly and paralyzed in a wheelchair, but his head was as sharp as a tack. He remembered every every dimension, every had it all in his head, you know, and he, they'd wheel him in and he'd give the orders and the guys that were... I mean, it's really been a lot of fun. And I'm, So I won't be going to Pebble this year because I'm going to... Um, Detroit to uh, Detroit for uh, Dream Cruise. Uh, I don't think it'll be ready at the Dream Cruise, but it'll be pretty close. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, oh, I mean, this was a project. In fact, right now, if you Google uh, Turbine Car, it just came up on Haggerty has a wonderful one-hour documentary on YouTube about the Turbine Car, and uh, they talk about. We did this a while back, so they talk about building the engine. It's obviously, it wasn't finished by the time this is finished. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a really good documentary if anybody wants to take a look at it. Um, you and I talked once before about uh, the movie that James Darren was in, and I think it was the Lively set or something like that, where they actually he, used yeah. one in the movie. Was that was that an actual turbine car? Yeah, that was that was the turbine car. I, I spoke to Jimmy Darren, actually. Really? Uh, he's still, yeah, he's about 80-something years old. He has a four-speed so. Oh, okay. I helped him sell it. Yeah. Nice guy. And we, we talked about it. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's one of those silly 60s movies with Pamela Tiffin and, you know, and, and he enters the big race. But when you watch it, it's got Mickey Thompson and all the big races from the 60s in it. Uh, and the turbine car wins because it's lightweight and it's flying across the desert, you know. I mean, you know, it's pretty cool. Now, Ford actually played around with turbines. I'm, I think GM did. And you mentioned Mickey Thompson. Obviously, he was playing around with turbines back in the day. Did any well, of these, everybody was. Everybody was, yeah. Everybody. Did any of these guys cross over? Any of the technology, any of the people share, work together? That well, you know we, did, we, just, we just had the uh, Howitt turbine car on our website. That's the only turbine car ever to win a race. Uh, and then Pennelly Jones ran at Indy and almost won the race, but a bearing went out on the second to last lap or something, so they didn't quite make it. But uh, yeah, it was interesting. That was seen as the future, but then of course turbines, uh, pollution, you, you, you just can't clean them up. It can't be done. Well, the episode you had when you had the uh, Hormet on, you had uh, Mr. McKee. I think he was the guy that designed it. Bob McKee. Bob McKee. Is he, he's still alive, right? Yeah, he released. He was a couple of weeks ago when I talked to him. Well, I'd love to have him on my show because that was an interesting story. Because a few years back, they had, I think they made what two of those hormats, and then one was red, one was or one was trimmed in red, one was trimmed in blue. Because one of them so. was at Pebble so. a few years ago. Yeah, real interesting guy. Real interesting guy. He'd be a good guest for you. So. Well, all right. So Jay, on the other question, because every once in a while I get people that always ask me stuff, and. Uh, the one question people always ask me is, does Jay Leno, when he gets in the car, does he actually, because he talks about, you know, taking the car up to 180, 190, 200 miles an hour. Do you actually go speed like that? I mean, does, does do you have any issues with, like, the insurance say, no, Jay, you can't go 200 miles an hour, you can't go 150, you can, you know, they, are there any limitations? And, I mean, do you really get in the car and go go fast? 
Well, we do. I mean, they can say that, but I might tell you a funny story. Sure. We went to we went to Detroit to drive what was then the new ZR1 Corvette, the last front engine one. Right. So, so I, I call up um, um, Chaz Kuchner. You know, he's the chief designer for Corvette. And I said, listen, uh, we want to do a couple laps on the proving ground at over 200 miles an hour. He goes, oh, okay. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So we set it up. You know. So I get there, and uh, Juke and I get in the Corvette. You know. So before we take off, I say, before we leave, tell me about the first time you went 200 in the Corvette. And he goes, oh, I never have. I said, you never have. He goes, no, this is the first time. I said, so the first time is with a 70-year-old comedian on a track I'd never been in and a car I'd never been in. He goes, I guess that's right. I said, all right, you know, <laughs> so it just made me laugh. All right. So we, we, we do it, you know, and we take it out. We're lapping at about 204, between 202 and 212. That was where we were for a bunch of laps, you know, and the thing is rock steady. You know, it's amazing. 15 years ago, I went down to Talladega with a Porsche Carrera GT and we, 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 we did 100 laps at 190 miles an hour around Talladega. And, you know, about after about 10 or 15 laps, boy, that car was walking all over the track. You know, we're just, you feel the tires start to go, start to, ooh, you start to move outwards on the edges, you know, from centrifugal force. And we, 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 I was in the last lap and I'm coming in, and the guy gives me the thumbs up, you know, to cut the engine. And I go, oh, okay, great. I take my foot off the throttle and wham, the back end comes around. It just goes spinning down the center of the track, you know? And I'm thinking, oh boy. But I always remember the old, old adage, you always hit what you're looking at, you know? Every time I saw the wall, every time I saw the wall, I just cut the wheel. And that kept me in the center. I just kept bring, bring, bring. So, I mean, I flat spotted all four tires, but I didn't hit anything. I didn't damage the car. And yet, 15 years later, aerodynamics had gotten so good on the ZR1 Corvette at 204, which is a good 15 miles an hour over what we were lapping in the Carrera GT. That Corvette was rock steady. He and I were having a conversation at 204, just talking, you know. And it's, it's so funny. You slow down to 60 and you feel like you could get out, which used to happen in Indy when they had two. That's why they did away with two-man cars. Guys are pulling to the fifth going 70 miles an hour. And the riding mechanics think we're going six miles an hour. And they would literally jump out of the car, you know, and, and, and boom, they break their neck, you know. Usually they jump out at like 40 or 50 miles an hour. Yeah. So it, it was interesting. It was interesting. When, you, when you're in these cars now, are you, do, you, do you have a full racing suit on, helmets, uh, safety gear in the car, or are these just stock cars and you're just wearing a helmet and strapped in with the conventional seatbelts that's uh, provided for well, you in the car? Well, usually wear a fire suit and a helmet. Okay. And... Uh, yeah, and you know, in the what do you call it? The the Simmons, you know, the heavier seatbelt over the shoulder and racing yeah. seatbelts, right? The four inch ones. Yeah, but but not too bad. Okay, the episode where you were in the uh, Hemi under glass. Yeah, was that real? Can I ask that? Oh yeah, that, 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 that rolled over because I, I well, yeah, you can't really fake a rollover. No, you can't. Um, <laughs> No, that, that was real. I mean, it was, uh, you know, that surface is like a bowl. Uh -huh. You have a live axle car, and you got one side higher than another. I had a hunch we might roll, and uh, and we did, you know. And uh, But it was okay. It was all right. <laughs> so for you yourself, what's the fastest you've gone behind a car? Now, I know you've got some extremely fast cars. You've got that McLaren. You've got... Uh, well, the fastest I've gone was... 278 in the American Eagle, which was a car that, uh, what was his name? Ed Shadel built. I was in it as a passenger sitting behind the guy. Uh -huh. So I wasn't driving that. So this is a Bonneville car now we're talking about, right? Yeah. Well, Muric Dry Lakes, but yeah, right. same thing. Um, the fastest I've driven, I guess, probably 215, 216. Um, I was in the, uh, Mercedes McLaren SLR uh, down at Idiata Racetrack in Spain. 
Wow. So, all right. So, what's the future now as far as um, Jay Leno's Garage? And I mean, that's just that's going to continue those episodes. And if people want to find out more about it, they just go to Jay Leno's Garage. Is that how that works? Well, we we have Jay Leno's Garage on YouTube, right? And then we're making a deal now. You know, I was on CNBC for seven years, but CNBC uh, did away with their uh, programming and just went to a strictly business format. So mm-hmm. we're trying to find another home for the show. We're very close to making the deal now. So uh, next time I talk to you, I'll have it all set. Oh, okay. How about um, and some? I, every once in a while during shows, I always get text. So uh, I know that I, I kind of know some of the questions that people ask in the past. So are you doing anything else? Because I know there were some game shows you were working on. Is there other stuff you're doing? Oh, yeah, and yeah, still... I have, yeah I, I'm doing that You Bet Your Life game show. But the trouble is, is a writer's strike. So we lost oh. the whole year. So. So and that's still going on. So I don't know when that's going to resolve itself. Well, back in the day when you were doing uh, the Tonight Show, did you write a lot of stuff yourself, or did you uh, sit with writers back in those days? Well, I had writers on the Tonight Show, of course, but I, I, during the writer's strike, I had to write my own stuff. Yeah, but a game show is different. You know, you you, you just work there, so you you, you can't uh, you can't work when you want. You know. All right, and then here's a question I've asked you once before, and I get asked this all the time. So with a guy that's got a lot of cars, a lot of cool motorcycles and stuff like that, is there anything out there you're looking for, something I can keep my eyes open for, somebody else, something that anybody can keep their eyes peeled for? Is there something really No, really- I just, I, I, you know, I buy the story. I like, yeah. I, I just like cars that have a good story. You know, sometimes a car just sits right. I remember years ago I was at a car show, and a guy had a 66 uh Dark green, coronet, black interior, Hemi, torque flight. You know, no GTX, no stripes, just a nice 66 coronet with a little Hemi badge on it, bucket seat. And it just had nice posture, you know. It just, the rear end wasn't sagging, the front end wasn't, it just sat nice. I said to the guy, boy, if you want to sell it, let me know, you know. And he called me one day, and I bought it, and that was 30 years ago. I still got it. It's just, I, I just like it. It just, it's the one car my wife has no idea why. Would, to her, it looks like a taxi cab. She goes, what is this thing? It doesn't look like anything. Going on, oh, honey, it's that Hemi, that magic Hemi name. You know, it, it doesn't mean a lot when you're into Prada purses. You know? <laughs> well, Jay, I know you have a lot of things to do. Well, Very thanks busy. for taking the time, Robert. I appreciate it. Thank you for hanging out with us here on uh, 4th of July, and I wish you all the best. You so too, my friend. Talk and, to you soon. Bye-bye. Well, I want to thank my special guest, Jay Leno, for hanging out with us here this 4th of July evening. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tan Talk Radio Network, where you can hear conversations from some of the most legendary and fascinating names in motorsports and on occasion music. In the meantime, I want everybody to go out there, enjoy the fireworks, happy 4th of July, happy Independence Day, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Country in your eyes